ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Good morning. Welcome to AM. It's Wednesday the 24th of January. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. The Albanese government is poised to change controversial planned tax cuts despite promising multiple times before, during and after the last election, not to touch them. Federal Cabinet's ticked off on the changes and they'll be put to a special meeting of Labor MPs this afternoon. Political reporter Nicole Hegarty is at Parliament House. Nicole, there's been a lot of speculation about what changes the government's planning. There sure has, and it's been rife for days now, or weeks, and even longer, some may say. So the government is yet to confirm the detail of what exactly these changes are going to be, but we understand that Cabinet signed up, signed off on them yesterday. There was a meeting of Cabinet as well as the broader ministry. So the consensus is that the salary at which the top tax rate will kick in will be brought down compared to what was going to be the case under the legislated Stage 3 changes. That's in keeping with the Albanese government focus here and public comments in recent days in particular from the Prime Minister where he's commented about putting more money in the pockets of lower and middle income earners where possible and that everyone will see a tax cut. That wouldn't be the case under the Stage 3 uh, cuts if they were left intact. So to recap recap those changes as legislated just very quickly for people uh, this is the third tranche of a package announced by the former coalition government. It would cost the budget some 323.6 billion dollars over a decade and it was legislated with the then Labor opposition's support uh, and it was to abolish the 37% tax bracket meaning savings for those earning between $45,000 and $200,000 a year with the savings larger the more you earn. That sparked significant criticism that they were unfair. The Treasury however is understood to have said that these changes, these tweaks which we're yet to see the specific detail on uh, aren't going to impact the overall cost of the package nor its impact on inflation. And by altering the tax cuts, the Prime Minister will be exposing himself to the accusation that he's broken an election promise. Nicole, how do you think that'll play out? Well, any accusation of a broken promise is often seen as political dynamite. We've already had an early indication of the response from the opposition and peak bodies here. The opposition, the shadow treasurer, Angus Taylor, already labelling this, despite not seeing the full detail, the mother of all broken promises. So a clear path forward in terms of what we're likely to hear from the opposition there. Separately, the peak business and industry groups have also labelled it a broken promise, saying any tweaking or or whatever word you want to put on this is a broken promise and that they see a compelling case for leaving the changes as legislated. That's not going to happen with the government making it quite clear, despite not making the specifics clear at this point, that there will be changes with cuts to be distributed more evenly, uh, particularly addressing concerns among lower and middle income earners. Nicole Hegarty. There'll be an early litmus test of whether voters will endorse the changes or view it as a broken promise in two by-elections early this year. One of those polls triggered by Scott Morrison's decision to quit Parliament for an overseas job. The former Prime Minister has told Sky News it's time to move on. It is a great privilege to serve your country and to be able to do it as a Member of Parliament, as a Minister, as a Treasurer and as a Prime Minister, if you get that opportunity. And so I'm just enormously grateful. So what do voters think of his legacy and can the Liberal Party make itself re-electable again? Nick Grimm went to one of the electorates that turned against the former PM to find out.
After 16 years in politics and four as Prime Minister, some voters in the once Liberal heartland electorate of Wentworth in Sydney aren't sorry to see Scott Morrison go. Oh, it's probably about time, I think. I think Why do you say that? I don't, I don't think he was that, you know, that, uh, that great for Australia. Personally, I wasn't a big fan at all. Bound for a string of private sector global advisory roles, he leaves a legacy as one of the most controversial PMs. Look, I think that during COVID, he probably could have dealt with things better, you know, and, and during the bushfires. But at the same time, I think that, you know, he served the country well. Oh, that's a shame. I think he did a lot of um, good things for Australia. Wentworth was one of six Liberal seats that fell to the wave of teal independence. And some of its voters are wondering what took the former Prime Minister so long to move on. Yeah, I think so. I think they um, always get a little bit bitter when they hang around after office, so probably best to leave. Well, does his retirement give the Liberal Party a chance to, to revamp its image a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think they're all a bit stiff and could probably do with a, an injection of a bit of youth and kind of get with the times a little bit more. It's probably about time. I think uh, once a Prime Minister has finished their term, it's a good time to go. It's a view shared by one seasoned Liberal Party insider. Tony Barry is a former Liberal Party strategist at the state and federal level, now director of the political communications organisation, the Redbridge Group. I mean, obviously he's been hanging around like a bad smell, so now this now gives, you know, some clear air to Peter Dutton and the coalition to sort of start resetting and preparing for the back half of this parliamentary cycle. So what does he think it'll take for the Liberals to become re-electable? So the next step for Peter Dutton uh, in the absence of Scott Morrison and the resetting of the party is to now start reaching minimum expectations in the electorate where the electorate sort of feel that there is a mood for change and the opposition are presenting themselves as a viable option. In the short term, though, Tony Barry believes Scott Morrison has done his party no favours by forcing it to yet another by-election. It was a, a selfish act to the very end to uh, call the by-election that wasn't aligned with either Aston or Dunkley, uh, which means the party, which already has limited resources, now has to back up for another by-election campaign. Former Liberal Party strategist Tony Barry, Nick Grimm with that report. Sandbags and generators are being prepared in North Queensland ahead of expected tropical cyclone Kiralee, which is forecast across the coast between Cardwell and Bowen tomorrow night. Authorities are planning not only for the Category 2 cyclone, but the deluge of rain it could deliver to central, western and southern Queensland. Annie Guest reports. Just across from Townsville's waterfront, the Rose Bay Holiday Park could bear the brunt of the cyclone. Nikki Hedges is the manager there. I've been here 16 years, so I've been through a couple of cyclones here. So we just, we're already prepared. We've got all the generators and everything ready. And yeah, we've got our sandbags ready to go and we're just waiting now. Some long-term residents and tourists are staying, but Nikki Hedges is making arrangements for others to delay their arrival. So we have a lot of international guests that travel this time of the year from overseas. And most of them are in um, like, little vans and motorhomes so they're hiring them from the hire companies and a lot of them are now coming down the coast to get out to sort of get further down the coast. Three hours down the coast plans are also being put on hold at Airlie Beach. Robin Ross is the general manager of the Whitsunday Sailing Club. So every Wednesday we have twilight sailing, have a race, we get a lot of people come in and but it won't be this Wednesday. That's because boats are being safely stored ahead of the cyclone. 
a number are usually moored just off Early Beach, considered the gateway to the Whitsundays. Well, from Pioneer Bay, we don't have any boats left on the moorings out the front, or there's very few now. People have taken their boats up the creeks or even continued sailing down south to avoid the um, possible cyclone. In previous cyclones, including Debbie and Yasi, some boats in North Queensland marinas ended up piled on top of each other, while others broke moorings and disappeared for weeks. So those set to weather the storm inside the marina have been tied down to concrete weights. So we have a uh, marina where we've got 28 berths. So we've made sure that all those boats have got adequate uh, mooring lines to stop them potentially hitting the boat next to them and any loose anything loose on the boats is secured. Um, we have club boats which we have taken the mast down and uh, secured them in sheds around the property. So really at the moment there's not much lying around the club that could potentially blow around if we get really hit with the cyclone. And it's not just the cyclone's strong winds that are expected to cause problems. It's also forecast to bring up to one metre of rain, with heavy falls all down the coast and inland too, leading to dangerous flash flooding. Any guest reporting there. Woolworths is not trying to cancel Australia Day. That's what the supermarket giant says in newspaper ads today as it grapples with the backlash from its decision not to sell Australia Day merchandise. The opposition leader Peter Dutton's called for a boycott, but the Woolworths boss says the decision was made more than a year ago because of steeply declining sales. Brad Banducci is the chief executive and we spoke earlier. Mr Banducci, welcome to AM. Why has Woolworths felt the need to take out ads to explain a business decision? Sabra, I've been reading all the feedback over the last couple of weeks and we could have done a better job of landing our message more clearly at the beginning and therefore I felt it was appropriate to come back out and reiterate our message and be very clear on it as we go into Australia Day with a particular concern around making sure that everyone treats our in-store teams with the respect they deserve. We have seen a rise, unfortunately, in uh, in some cases, uh, rudeness, in other cases, even aggression to our team. And it's critically important that any frustration is expressed towards me and the executive of Woolies, not to our hardworking team in stores. You've tried to read all the public complaints and in the incident reports that you've just referred to. How many incidents have your teams reported and how much correspondence have you received? Uh, a lot. And uh, I personally received over 3,000 emails. Um, you know, I've I've tried to read and skim most of them. You can imagine I couldn't respond directly to all of them. Uh, And then in team incidents, unfortunately, there's been a 50% increase in the number of incidents in our stores of reported acts of rudeness or, or, as I say, aggression towards our team. And I've been tracking those uh, by the day. A lot of feedback. And, you know, I say it's a privilege in the job to get that feedback. And part of the job is responding to that feedback. Well, how do you feel about the claims that, you know, you're joining cancel culture and the opposition leader has even urged shoppers to boycott Woolworths. How do you respond to those things? 
Well, I can only respond with uh, what we really are focused on, which is we're a very proud 100-year-old Australian company, uh, the biggest employer of hardworking Australians. Uh, and we have the privilege of serving 20 million Australians every week. And we are focused on doing that. And the decision we made this year was a decision to focus on doing that through focusing on what we do best, which is food and groceries and giving them great value for the Australia Day and long weekend. Any signs of a boycott happening? Not really, uh, Sabra, but that, as I say, is not our real focus. Our real focus is how our team feel, how our customers feel and what happens in our stores. The Australian cricket captain, Pat Cummins, says he supports changing the date of Australia Day. Do you? Look, that's a decision for others. Um, so uh, I'll leave it. I'll leave it to to the government and all the political uh, side of it to work through that issue. So we're just very focused on doing what we do best for Australia, the Australian Day long weekend. The major supermarket chains, including yours, are facing a number of inquiries because of cost of living pressures and concerns over price gouging. If the competition watchdog, the ACCC, launches its own inquiry into supermarket profit margins and supply chains. Would you cooperate and open all your books to scrutiny? Sorry, but we are willing to uh, cooperate with all of the current inquiries uh, that are underway, and that would be no different. Uh, so, yeah, there are, you know, we are very focused on doing the right thing, but I should be clear on what the right thing is driving great value for our customers, treating our suppliers fairly, including our Australian fresh food suppliers, uh, making sure that the 178,000 people who work at Woolworths have meaningful jobs and careers at Woolworths, and then giving our shareholders, many of them Australian-based uh, pension funds, uh, a fair return on uh, their investments in Woolworths. So it's all about the balance, but it's our job to communicate that and share that effectively with all the, uh, the stakeholders concerned. How do you explain then the big gap between what farmers receive for their produce and the prices that customers pay at the checkout? So, I, well, firstly, I think we should be quite thoughtful of which category we're talking about for farmers. If you're talking about fruit and vegetables, uh, we are in material deflation and have been for about four months on fruit and vegetables. Now, uh, that is because demand and supply in Australia, it's a domestic product that's subject to demand and supply. Uh, it is causing, and I, I, we can see it, pain for many of those farmers, uh, but hopefully that's... Uh, situation will change as we go into the new year. What is interesting about fruit and veggies, as we drop prices, people buy more. They're actually healthier, but you do get price elasticity. So hopefully that's resolving what's happening on fruit and vegetables. Meat is a completely different scenario where with 7% of Australian meat uh, uh, purchased in this country, we don't buy from sale yards, uh, sorry, we buy directly where we can from farmers uh, and we try and smooth out the prices they get so that they can plan and manage their business effectively. So there is a lead and lag time in meat on price movement. That said, you have seen material price reductions uh, in meat in the last couple of months. Although I need to foreshadow to everyone, and it is a concern to us, but when you look at the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the meat, uh, the red meat beef index, it does look like it's trending up based on what's happening offshore. So these things do flow through. I can show you and check them, and I'm very happy to share them with the Senate, the Queensland government, the ACT government, and of course the ACCC. The federal government is preparing to change planned tax cuts to reportedly put more money into the pockets of low and middle income earners and reduce tax cuts for high income earners. Do you support making those changes? 
Oh, sorry, I, I, I can't really comment on that. I'm very focused on making sure we do the right thing in food and groceries. So that, that's where my focus is, as you might imagine. Yeah, but if there is more money in people's pockets, what risk is there that that extra money will simply fuel inflation? Um, look, uh, our shoppers are savvy, to be honest with you. They always have been. Uh, and, of course, in the current environment, they're becoming savvier. So I don't know if that would change it. You know, there's a, a broader series of ways that they choose to spend their disposable income that I can't talk to. Uh, you know, the benefits I would have thought would be more in the discretionary forms of retail uh, that are out there than in what we do. Uh, you know, we, they're savvy all the time and they should be and they cross shop us against all of our competitors and 70% of our customers uh, cross shop us. In fact, 20% start and finish a Woolworths shopping journey either in, in a competitor's store. So I don't see that changing. Brad Banducci, thanks for joining AM. My pleasure. Thanks, Sabra. And Brad Banducci is the Chief Executive of Woolworths. The former US President Donald Trump is trying to cement his lead in the race to become the Republican presidential nominee. The contest has shifted to the state of New Hampshire, where former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is hoping for an upset or at least a chance to dent Donald Trump's domination of the Republican contest. North America correspondent Carrington Clark is in Manchester, New Hampshire. Well, we're here in one of the polling places in Manchester, New Hampshire. We've got a pretty steady stream of people entering. We are receiving kind of contradictory messages about what they expect turnout to be here in America. Voting is voluntary, so a big part of the effort uh, on behalf of the competitors is to get the vote out. Uh, and it seems that the more people out is the better news for Nikki Haley. The real focus is on that Republican race about whether or not Nikki Haley can take it up to Donald Trump. If Donald Trump gets a decisive victory here, then it's all but over. It's uh, in the Republican race. Uh, we did speak to some voters outside the polling centre just a little earlier. And this is an area that you would expect to be going in favour of Nikki Haley. And that's what we felt. Uh, but there are Donald Trump supporters about as well. It's been, uh, I feel like, a pretty chaotic past eight years with, between Trump and Biden. And I think, um, you know, it's a good step to move like past those two candidates and, you know, have a, a better option for the future. Uh, to make sure Donald Trump doesn't get in. And I voted for Nikki Haley uh, because I think that she's uh, got the right temperament. Uh, I just think Trump's stronger than she is and uh, it's a little flip-floppy with Haley. So, hey, maybe she'd make a good vice president. In Carrington, what final pitches are Donald Trump and Nikki Haley making to voters? Well, Donald Trump has showed up at one of the many polling places that is dotted across New Hampshire. He says he expects perhaps Nikki Haley is going to have a big loss, as he puts it. And he says people need to turn up in order to basically put a line under this contest and make sure that he is the nominee. Nikki Haley is imploring people to get out and vote and says that the Republican Party needs to turn a page on the Trump years. I know you love America too. And I know you want a new generational leader. And I know you want someone that is going to deliver results for you. Government's intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It's never meant to be all things to all people. This is a live free or die state. Let's make it a live free or die country. And that's Republican candidate Nikki Haley. And before her, our North America correspondent Carrington Clark in New Hampshire. And that's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane.